My brother-in-law, uh, Mark, and I have a very, very interesting, very, very positive friendship. Um, though we're very different, we we are really, really different people. Um, and and probably one of the main reasons for our difference is because we come from very different families. My my wife and and her family have a Serbian Bosnian background, um, so so former Yugoslav background. And here you can see our whole family um, up on the Sunshine Coast. So I did a quick trip up, uh, flew up in the day uh, for for my mother in law's birthday. Had to come back on the same night. I couldn't spend too long there. But there you can see my brother in law right at the end on the left there with the uh, really cool sunglasses um, and and he's a he's a really um, he's an amazing guy but our families are, are very very different um, uh, compared to, to my family think my big fat Greek wedding sort of thing that's that's kind of the picture because because uh, my uh, wife's family that they, they are so amazing life just is full when you go to their house so you know the kitchen is like the hub of, of of my um, wife's family. It's, it's like where everything happens. You go down there, if you want a piece of pizza, you just go into the fridge, you eat your pizza, and of course there's somebody going to, else is going to be there, and, they, and they're going to be talking. It's, it's so amazing. Talk at the dinner time goes at, at 500 k's an hour. It's just so fast. And sometimes I, I try and step in. It's like, ah, and okay, I, sorry, I can't step into this highway. Ah, oh, sorry. And I, I can sit there. It's, it's so amazing. And you know, they're, they're talking talking about mostly it's about family family stretches from melbourne all the way up to brisbane and of course to Yugoslavia as well. And it's what's, what's happening? Who's, who's pregnant? Who's had a baby? Who's getting engaged? Who's getting married? And they're crazy things in life. It's, it's so amazing kind of life to be, to be part of. And that's, that's Mark at the end there. So that's the family that he comes from, where my wife comes from as well. This is, this is my family. My family has a English and Swedish background. So, so there's a properness that comes. And and um, uh, my family, uh, my brother-in-law's a pediatrician, my sister's a pediatrician, my dad's a surgeon, my mum's a GP, and um, I'm the black sheep in the family. I didn't do medicine, so forgive me. But you know, when we have um, dinner, dinner has to start at 6.30. And Queen Elizabeth, my mother, reigns during that time. <laughs> You speak to if you're spoken to. So, and don't touch that teapot. Did I let, let you uh, touch that? No, I didn't. So, so, and most of the time it happens to be my mother speaking. So it's for about half an hour we, we get this rendition. It's a, a Elizabethan monologue mostly. My, my father's a very quiet person. And, um, so we sit there and listen and, and we talk as well. And what we talk about is, is politics, theology, philosophy, science. That's what we kind of to talk about. And about 20 minutes into the, the conversation, my father gets up and starts to do the dishes. And that's a signal that there's 10 more minutes of the Elizabethan monologue, and then we can go to our bedrooms and do our homework. We can do what we need to do. That's, that's my family. That's the family we, um, I, I grew up in. Totally different. So you can understand why Mark and I are very different people. The other thing as well is this. This is the kind of car that my brother-in-law drives. He drives a Subaru WRX. It's got turbo. It's got, got a, a spoiler. It's got turbo charge as well. It's got leather seats. My kids go to his car and go, Daddy, can we have this car? It's absolutely amazing. 
The car that I drive, well, I family, it's a Toyota Corolla wagon. Now, I know, I know that, that, that the guys here are just drooling over this one instead of the WRX. No, sorry, I, I realize that. But, you know, it's a good car. It's 1.8 liters. It can get up a hill. And, and, and it's good. It's really good for the, the child seats in the back. And it's, the boot is amazing. But I know that um, even the young ladies here aren't going, wow, I want that car. No, we're really, really different people. And here's my, my brother-in-law pulling a fa- uh, funny face with my kids, and um, um, it's amazing. But the interesting thing is this, that even though Mark and I are very different, very different, for some reason we just click. For some reason we click. And, and, and when we sit down together and we talk, um, we, we talk about amazing things together. One time, well, um, he, he had to go to a concert in town near Redfern. And um, uh, the, if he went by train from Quakers Hill, um, it would have taken him about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I don't know. It was, it was quite a long time. So I said to him, Mark, how about if I drive you into town in the Toyota Corolla? And so he was very gracious and said, yes, why not? So we're driving along there. And, and then he says to me, you know, the, the National Geographic that you... Um, <clears throat> that was on the bedside table um, last night, um, um, and we have it here. It was really interesting. We, we just kind of left it there. And he said, you know, it's Rome's bad boy. Sounds like a cool story, doesn't it? It's about Nero. Nero. And of course, we all, most of us know Nero was a terrible guy. He, well, that's what we think. And, but he said, you know, this, this article was saying that, um, Nero wasn't as bad as, as some people make him out to be. You know, he actually did some great things for, for Rome. And so I said to him, yes, you know, it's, it's actually really interesting. And I said, the reason, of course, is that after Nero and, and Rome uh, kind of reached its height and power and then started to collapse, what happened, of course, was the Christian church took over the empire um, in many ways. And well, it did. And <clears throat> so what happens, of course, is that the people writing history were the Christian historians. And of course, because Nero persecuted the, the Christians, he, he put them on poles, he, he brushed them with tar and then set them alight. It's a great thing to do. And, um, and I said, you know, they were writing, and of course they're going to take a negative view towards Nero. They're not going to like him because they persecuted the Christians so much. And I said, you know, if you go back, the, the reality is probably a little bit more um, balanced. It's, it's a little bit, there's two sides to every story. And, and I said, you know, that's a very interesting observation that you've made. And then he turned to me and then he, he asked me that question. He made that comment. And he, he said to me, you know, Sven, there's times where I just don't know if Christianity is really relevant. I don't know if Christianity is really relevant. And it's kind of stopped me right there. And of course, what he's referring to is this. He's referring to the fact that, you know, you go to the Bible and it says, don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, you know, don't mix your um, linen and wool when you make clothes. And he's going like, well, how on earth is that relevant today's society? You know, if I go to Domino's Pizzas or whatever, you know, have a bit of ham on my pizza, who cares? What does it matter? You know, it's just, and, and, you know, with, with, um, Christianity, you, you, you have to go to church for an hour a week. You, ha- you can't drink alcohol. You know, how does it connect to reality? Me as a, me as a young man, how does it really connect? And I think he had a good question. It really stopped and made me think. Of course, what's even deeper than that is this. Is not only Christianity relevant, but is God relevant? 
Is God relevant to our lives today? You know, um, I, I need to each week look at my bank accounts and check, do I have enough money in the bank to pay for my mortgage and not, not get hit with a big fine or fee or whatever? And, you know, I have to drive in the traffic. And, you know, I could um, pray, oh, Lord, I just make sure that that mortgage payment comes through. But, you know, things just roll on and it's kind of like, does God even come into the picture at all? Does he even have anything to do with my life? You know, is God relevant? But there's an interesting question as well. Is, is not only is God relevant, but is God relevant to what in my life? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is God relevant to, to something in my life? And I want to share with you a, a, a very personal story. And that is this. This is my, my family that I introduced to you before. When I was 14, year old, 14 years old, I came to a very, very significant understanding and, and insight into my, my life. And that was with, with a 14-year-old teenage, keep that in mind, teenage mind, I realized or I, I came to the understanding that my dad was irrelevant to my family. That's the, 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 that's what I thought. I thought to myself, you know, you know, my dad is always at work. He's always got these surgical lists, operating lists. He's always doing ward rounds. He's, he's, um, he always gets called out. He's, he's almost never here. Whereas my, my mum is always there. She's always cooking. She's giving food for us. She's, she's, um, she's always talking, giving me advice, even if I don't want it. She, she's there. But my dad just isn't there, you know. And I thought to myself, you know, our family could continue even if my dad wasn't here. That's what in my 14-year-old mind I came to realize. I thought, you know, this is really good. I've, I've got good deductive skills here, really good. It's interesting that just a few weeks later, I came to, to actually work out if my theory was true, if my, my deductive skills were good. What happened was that my family and I were living in Hong Kong, and my family thought it would be good for us to go to um, to China to, to understand the history and the culture. So we we'd, um, planned this trip with a, a nurse from the hospital called Amy. And um, so she was going to be our tour guide. We were not going to go on a big bus with all the American tourists and the Japanese and waving the flags. No, no, we, we were going to China to do a personal um, trip to, to meet family of, of Amy and um, other people like that. Just a few days, um, just a few days before we left, my dad got a call and it was his family, his, his um, parents in Mullumbimby. And the call was, your mum is dying. Your mum is dying. And you know, what, what I knew was that my, my dad was actually really close to my mum. He was actually quite similar. They, they were quite similar in personality. And, and so, you know, because he was close, you could, you could tell that he was emotionally distraught about it. And we got to the decision where, where he said, I will go back to Mullumbimby to, to spend time with my mum because I don't know how long she's going to live. And you, the rest of your family, you go to, you go to China. So there was Amy, my mum and my sister and I. We went to China. My dad went to Australia. You know, the, uh, to, the amazing thing was this. That suddenly I realized, I realized where, where did my mum get her confidence and stability from? It was from my dad. It was from my dad. Because we went on this trip. It didn't, the trip didn't fall over. But my mum was suddenly so much more insecure. 
her confidence was coming from my dad. And you know, um, on that trip, I had to be the man of the house. I had to be the person that, that sorted all of these things out. My mother was leaning on me and suddenly I realized, hang on a minute, dad is really relevant. And you know, the, the times where I go like, dad, what your, your advice to me just doesn't make any sense. Now when I look back, I go like, hang on a minute. His advice really did make sense. And the amazing thing is this, I've realized that I'm more like my dad than I think. I'm more like my dad than I think. And that what he tells me actually makes a lot of sense. And the other thing, of course, is that if my dad wasn't part of my family, I wouldn't exist. I wouldn't even exist. You know, my mother might have had another marriage to another man, but it would have been another teenage boy. I wouldn't even be here if my dad wasn't part of our family. What I'd like to do this morning is to, to go through with you and share with you some of the things why God is really relevant to our lives. And the first thing that God is relevant for our lives is the meaning of life, the deep meaning of life. There was this, um, this person, the king of, of Israel, his name was Solomon, one of the most wisest people that ever lived. And this guy was absolutely amazing. He, he had everything he wanted to, to have. He had literally boatloads of, of things coming to his kingdom every every year boatloads of gold silver uh, bronze, uh, apes and peacocks. And I ask you, you know, I would love to have boatloads of gold coming to my place. I think uh, Lloyd would as well. I don't know about the apes. I could have, leave the apes out, but the peacocks, yes, that'd be kind of cool as well. But you know, he had everything. He had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. And basically what that meant was that he could, he could see a beautiful woman in the land. He could have a, um, he could call, he could have a one night stand. She would go into the harem and she would spend the rest of her days there. She would never see him again. He could have any woman he wanted to in the country. It was, it was, and of course, once she went to the harem, she could have no other husband because that would be treason. He had music. He had, he had these incredible building projects. He had anything that his heart desired. And you know what? He came to the end of his life. He said this, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. Because he said, you know, once I die, all of these things I've, I've done, all of this money I've made, who knows where it will go? It, it, you know, it might be squandered by, by my children. I just don't know. I just don't know. And you know, scientists tell us, if you, if you go from an atheistic scientific point of view, that we're just a bunch of atoms. We're just a bunch of atoms that, that I will die, that you will die, every one of us will die. The whole universe is going to this oblivion. And what that means is this. Even if you're a, a cancer surgeon and you do the very best for, for your patients, you, you, you help hundreds of patients not to have cancer. You know what the thing is? It's all meaningless because they will die and so will you. So will you. The only thing that gives meaning to our lives ultimately and this is what Solomon came to realize, is that God exists, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he has a purpose for you and I. That's where meaning comes from. Otherwise, it has no meaning at all. Now, you might say, this is a grumpy old man. Why would we listen to him? You know, he just had too many women in his life. Um, he should have, you know, stuck with a good one, you know, just like I have, and, and Lloyd's got a good woman as well. But, um, you know, let, let's, let's go to a contemporary with it person, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. 
You know, she's the heiress of every single Hilton hotel in the world. Money rolls in. You know, when her boyfriend buys her a $1 million um, engagement ring, she can say, I don't really like that. It's a bit cheap. I would want one more expensive. And have uh, and buys a $2 million um, engagement ring. She goes, I don't like yellow gold. I'd like rose gold or whatever it is, you know. Her, her advice is, you know, if you don't get what you want, pout, whimper. And, you know, change your attitude. Change your co- uh, clothes whenever you want to. And, if you, and, and change your boyfriend as well. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. December 2014, that's only three months ago, she went online and she said that inside she feels empty. Empty. Utterly empty. You know, you could have the world, but lose your soul, lose your meaning. It only comes, as Solomon found out, uh, from having God in our lives. And this is not only, not only celebrities, not only grumpy old kings, but even scientists and philosophers. This is a guy in the States, he's actually dying of cancer, um, William Provine, a professor. He said, the universe cares nothing for us and we have no ultimate meaning in life if you take the atheistic worldview. But if God exists, if God exists, then he is relevant for giving our lives genuine and ultimate meaning. And this is what Jesus said, I have come. I have come in order that you might have life in all its fullness, in all its fullness. But it's not only about meaning in life, there's also something as well, and that is morality, morality. You know that this famous person, Richard Dawkins, says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, or any justice as well. He says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is and we dance to its music. What he's saying to you is if atheism is true, if atheism is true, we are simply DNA machines. We are DNA machines and you can have a, a human machine in a plane and a pilot walks out of that cockpit and that human machine puts it into no dive straight down into the Alps. 150 people gone. And we shouldn't care one bit. Who cares? It was just one machine driving another machine that's hitting a big astronomical object. The problem is that deep down we do care. Deep down, we do care. There's something wrong about a person who, who may be having problems with their relationships or, or, or with their emotions, but taking 150 people down into the earth. That is wrong. That is wrong. And just as it is wrong for, for a person in a school like Knox Grammar to, to be, to be going, uh, with a balaclava into a dormitory to, to rape a young boy, to sexually abuse, that, that is wrong. And the only place that we can find that is if there's a lawgiver, if there's a moral foundation for our lives. 
And, and even uh, Richard Dawkins himself says it's pretty hard to defend absolute morals on anything other than religious grounds. Science has no methods for deciding what is ethical. The only reason that we can have morals where we can say evil is evil and good is good is if God is, is um, real and alive. He takes part in our lives. God is relevant uh, with regards to, to morality. And here we have uh, William Provine coming back and he says, no inherent moral or ethical laws exist, nor are there any absolute guiding principles for human society if atheism is true. You know, God is relevant uh, for giving our lives meaning and purpose, but also for giving us a moral principles to live by. And you know, Paul says this, amazing, whatever commandment there may be is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love. That makes sense. That makes that makes us um, that feel good inside. That's where we want to be. Love your neighbor is yourself. Love does no harm to your neighbor. It does not fly people into an Alps, into a mountain. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. You know, um, God says this, I can bring the quality into your life. I can bring love. I can bring joy. I can bring, bring peace into your life. And it comes from God himself. The other amazing thing is this, is, you know, your intelligence as well. You know, you're sitting here, you're, you're, you're watching online, and I, I, um, I trust that you have the intelligence to understand what I'm saying, to follow the, the logic and reason. But, you know, the interesting thing is this. A, a person called Charles Darwin wrote this. In 1881, he wrote this, But then within me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the minds of lower animals, are of any value or at, at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in, in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? You know, when you go to Taronga Zoo here in Sydney, when you look at the monkey, do you think like, wow, he's thinking amazing things. I, w- I want to know what he's thinking about the universe. I want to think about it, what he's thinking about ethics. No, you don't, because you know you don't trust him. You don't trust him. And you could say, well, Darwin was a zoologist. What would he know? He's not a, he's not a neuroscientist. He's not a philosopher. Well, let's, let's take it further afield to, to New York. If we came to believe that our minds were the result of unguided evolution, that would mean we be, should be very skeptical about our own intelligence. And if it's, that's an atheist talking. What about a Christian guy? We have this guy, Alvin Plantinger. If both evolution and atheism are true, then the probability of us having reliable minds is very, very low. And yet, even though I may have never met you, I may have never met you, I may have never spoken to you, you might be sitting thousands of miles away. You know, the fact is this, I still trust in your intelligence. Why do I do that? Why do I do that? It's because I truly believe that you have been made in the image of God. God is relevant for us to understand and trust in human intelligence. And Paul and, and um, Moses said this, you know, human beings have been made in the image of God. People have been made in the image of God. You know, the, the meaning of life, morality and the values of life, even human intelligence... But you know, God is not only just leaving it that. You know, if, if someone was to step into to our world, to step into our world and to show himself to us, that is when God becomes incredibly re- relevant. You know, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But you know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. You know, God has stepped into our life. 
He's walked up to us, shaken hands with us and said, Hi, my name is Jesus. I want to spend all of eternity with you. And this is what he, he said to us. You know, he said to us when he was talking to Nicodemus on a, on a dark night in Jerusalem, when, when Nicodemus was trying to understand what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Where, where can I find true purpose? Where can I find where I can go to um, for all eternity? How can I understand? You know, Jesus sat down with him. And, and told him these, these incredible words. He said, you know, no one, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born again, is, is born of, of water and the spirit. It's not by your own human uh, willpower. It's not by your intelligence. It's not by your, even your good works that you can get into the kingdom of God, that you can be part of my, my reality. It's because it's a gift, a gift of life. And then he, he said those incredible, incredible words, the most famous words in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? There is a God. There is a God who cares. That even when a plane, when a person with the freedom of choice dives down straight towards the ground, there is a God who cares. There is a God who cares. That was not just a random, meaningless act. There is a God of justice and morality who, for a person in that plane who believes in Jesus, Jesus is able to, to raise them back to life. That we can see them. That I can see my grandmother. I can see my, my grandfather. And no matter what happens in life, we can know that God is relevant. He cares about us. He loves us. We can spend all of eternity with Him. 